Welcome to Intrepid Media, the show for the business professional. Here, we're going to talk about business topics such as leadership, sales, marketing, HR, innovation, strategy, and technology. But we're also going to riff about lifestyle too and help you look better, feel better, and live better. This show is everything the modern business professional needs, from the C-level executive to the millennial. So let's get on with the show. Welcome to HR Latte, your connection to all things HR. Today's great HR department is foundational for today's successful business. Listen in as host Rayanne Thorne gets personal with practitioners and technologists, experts and thought leaders who care about the world of human resources. And now for your next cup of talent management, whipped to perfection. And we are back touching on the topic of the pursuit of happiness. This is HR Latte with Rayanne Thorne, your host always. And I'd like to welcome my guest back, Dr. Crosby, Dr. Daniel Crosby. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Can you give us just a brief snippet of your background and then we'll jump right in? Yeah, I'm a psychologist by education, a money manager by profession. I work at Nocturne Capital, and you can find me on Twitter at Daniel Crosby. So I am fascinated by your story, Dr. Crosby. You, a, a psychologist by training who has jumped into the world of finance. Can you just give us, I just want you to share the story of how that happened. Yeah, so I started off college as a business major, going to be an investment manager like my pops. And uh, after the, my first year of college, I went on a mission for my church, spent a couple years in the Philippines, came back with a bigger heart than I left with, I think. Ah. And yeah, said, you know, I said, you know what, money is money's not everything. I don't I don't care about this. I want to help people. So then I became a psychology major, uh, went on through a PhD in psychology about three or four years into that PhD in psychology, though. I was beginning to see the profession change, managed care was changing. Yes. I was getting very, very, very burnt out um, on talking to sad people all day. I was unable to go out on weekends because I sort of had the weight of the world uh, with me wondering if my clients were going to live through the weekend. And I said, you know what? I can't do this. I'm too, I feel it too much. I take it home with me too much. And so then I, you know, long story short, transaction to business applications of psychology. And that's been a, a fantastic fit. Thank you for sharing that. And I, I love your worldview of wanting to give back. And I do believe that your experience in the Philippines had a lot to do with it. So thank you for sharing that with us. It's always nice to understand the background behind the man, the meaning behind the man. So let's talk about the pursuit of happiness. And in this particular episode, we're going to talk about the good behind money. Recently, I would say probably in the last two to three years, there has been a great social push. And by that, I mean all over social media and blogs and podcasts and articles about choosing experiences over things, right? F choosing a time, a place, a an opportunity over buying or spending your money on things. When you hear that, what do you think of when we say experience over things, choosing an experience over things? What does that entail? Yeah, so the psych 
psychology of that, there's a very particular psychology to that. You know, we've talked in our previous episodes about adaptation. And one of the worst things that you can spend your money on um, is a house because you quickly adapt to a house and it quickly, quickly stops being this thing that maybe wowed you when you first saw it. And it just quickly becomes the backdrop of your life. Um, and you become very accustomed to it, even if it's quite a nice or quite an extravagant house. On the other hand, experiences age like fine wine, right? Like experiences get better with time because it is our natural psychology to forget about the kid peeing his pants and, you know, all the, all the, <laughs> or the dog peeing on the floor, right? <laughs> sure. You know, it's, it, it becomes natural for us to forget about the kids screaming all day at Disney and getting a sunburn. And we just remember the, you know, the fireworks oh, at night. Right. So memory gets better with time. Things get worse. That's interesting. There's also been a, a great push and it might tie into this for minimalism. And there's a, a great group, a couple of guys that I follow on Facebook called the minimalists. And they've written a book and consistently push out content about how to minimize the things in your life. They have this one project where you could eliminate a thing from your household a day, but progressively. So on day one, so say May 1st, you would get rid of one thing on May 2nd, you'd get rid of two things on May 3rd, you get rid of three things. And then the feeling of freedom that that brings, you know, eliminating the stuff that sits around our homes or in our closets that we don't use that are in our garages. Our garages are filled of things that we don't use, but feel like we cannot get rid of. Do you think that that is part of that, um, a, a, a walk away from things or is it just somebody's idea that's interesting? Yeah, so I love that idea. And in my own life, I've tried to work towards uh, fewer and, and nicer things, like right. fewer things that, that are of higher quality. And I think there's really something to that. I read an article this week about how, not very intuitively, kids who have fewer toys play with those toys more. They, they take yes. better care of them. And I mean, I think about my kids and we have an entire, we have an entire floor of our house that's just <laughs> toys. <laughs> toys. And, you know, and it's bonkers. And I mean, they haven't touched any of them in, you know, so, so long. So I think if, if they actually had fewer, they'd, they'd like them more. It's actually, and there's a lot of truth behind that. As a, when I was a young mother, I think I read something about that. When you put a child in a playpen or on, in a exercise or some type of area where they can have a tray in front of them, you give them only one or two toys as opposed to filling the tray because they just become confused and angry and they can't make that choice. So I would agree that may maybe you need to have a floor of other things besides toys in your own. Well, what we've done is we've begun rotating in and out some of the stuffed animals because there's just so many. Oh, there so you we'll, go. Yeah, we'll box up, you know, box up half of them and then switch out, uh, switch teams out every couple of months. <laughs> there's a, there's idea. a great book. There's a great book called The Paradox of Choice that talks about why less is more. There's a TED Talk that'll give you the same idea. Oh, great. Yeah. Oh, perfect. Okay, so. Why can, can things not bring you great experiences? And what, and by that, I mean, if you buy a boat, right? And you spend the weekend with your family on the boat. Is that a thing that has brought you a great experience? Or is it the experience that was just happened to happen because of the thing? Well, I think there's no, uh, you know, the, the post I wrote was can money buy happiness? And the answer was sort of. So I think that buying things that facilitate experiences, there's there's something to that. I think a boat in particular for most people ends up being a bad idea just because they don't use it as 
you know, they don't use it as much as they might have imagined. There's more upkeep involved. And, you know, everyone talks about how, you know, it's like lighting $100 bills on right. fire, owning a boat. But well, they but say yeah, that I, the two greatest days in a boat owner's life is the day that he buys one and the day that he sells it. That's so. right. <laughs> so there you have it. But I, I agree with you. I, I love that you added the sort of onto the title of, of your post. We're going to come back. We're going to talk a little bit about charity and giving to others. So, and the type of happiness that that can bring to you. We'll be right back with Dr. Daniel Crosby here on HR Latte. HR Latte is brought to you by Dovetail Software, a SaaS-based HR case management and help desk solution to ease today's HR departments into tomorrow. Simple but powerful real-time employee engagement, knowledge management, and detailed analytics empower human resource departments and shared services teams to effectively handle any type of employee interaction. Dovetail Software. By HR. For HR. Hey everybody, welcome back to HR Latte. We're going to wrap up this particular episode on the topic the pursuit of happiness and how money can tie into that. One of the things that I have thought a lot about in my life is charitable giving. And folks that have a great deal of money often give away some of that money, mostly for a tax write-off, mostly to protect the assets that they are hanging on to and not giving away. But I've really struggled with this and I'm hoping you can help me, Dr. Crosby. And I don't know if if I can state it the right way, but um, hopefully I can. So if we are expected to give, right, if we have a lot of money and we're expected to give or we do it and make a great hoopla out of it, right? I have donated so much money to this charity or to this GoFundMe campaign or, you know, giving money away or even I do it to feel good about myself. Those seem to be selfish things about charitable giving. And I don't know how you get around that the selfish aspect of charity. And and is it bad to do that? If we're supposed to really, truly sacrifice, right? The sacrifice of giving. Is that not charity if you don't really sacrifice? Can we dive into this a little bit further? You do touch on it um, at the end of your article. And I was hoping you could share some insight with me because this is something that I've actually really struggled with. And one of the reasons why I try to give when I'm just on the street, if I see somebody in need, I just, you know, slip a five into their pocket and walk away. And, and I feel better about that. And and I think it's been a great example for my children of mom, but we didn't have money to buy groceries and you gave somebody that dollar, right? So what can you share? What insight can you share with me on this particular topic? So a, a very consistent finding in psychology is that there really is something to the old phrase, fake it till you make it. They've done studies where, you know, we used to think that people smile because they were happy, right? Like you experience the emotion and it manifests itself in something physical. But what we also find is that if you force people to smile, right? Like if you, if you make people smile, they actually begin to improve their affect. Their mood actually begins to improve. And you find this in everything from smiling to exercise to charitable giving. So I would say that if you feel like you should give, but you don't currently feel to give, give it a shot. Uh, take a shot at just faking it till you make it. 
even if your motives aren't uh, as pure as the driven snow, perhaps, <laughs> that, that okay. there is something that, that there is something to just acting a certain way and knowing that the feeling comes after. So I think that's an important principle to keep in mind. So, and some people will counter that with, well, I, if I'm giving somebody on the street five bucks, he's just going to turn around and buy drugs or, or alcohol with it. And one of the answers is, is that your responsibility though, right? So how do, how do we counter the feeling of needing to sacrifice in order for it to be truly giving? So I think there's just really cool research out right now about, about how best to give. And it's actually, there's a couple of hedge fund managers that made, you know, all the money they ever needed and have turned their analytical skills towards uh, how to best give. Wow. And I love, yeah, I love what they talk about in their book and I'm blanking on the name of it, but they talk about diversifying your charitable activities the same way you would diversify your stock portfolio. And so like, if you just want to do the most good in the world, save the most lives, say, it's hard to beat something like buying mosquito nets. Like, I mean, for $5 to the $5 that you give to a panhandler um, in New York City, you could save the lives of five children in Africa kind of thing, right? Right. So the part of your giving needs to be, uh, I would say, towards giving uh, in ways that do the most good. But then you've also got to give in ways that uh, keep you excited about giving. So for me, that might be helping to support the arts or helping to support children or helping to support reading initiatives or whatever that looks like for me. So I would say uh, diversify and also look again for experiences. I've found that giving is much more compelling when it allows me to stay involved in the life of a person and allows me to see their progress over time. Versus, say, stroking a check to, um, you know, uh, an organization and it just sort of vanishes into the ether. It has been such a pleasure to have you on the show, Dr. Crosby. Your book, The Laws of Wealth, I think you call it, what is it, 300 pages of behavioral finance goodness, uh, can be found on Amazon and, and probably in a couple of bookstores, I'm guessing. Is there oh, yeah. another way? Can they buy it from your website or is the best way through Amazon? Amazon's probably easiest. You can buy it from my publisher, Harriman House, but Amazon's probably easiest. They're in, okay. they're in London. So you're probably, if you're in the US, you're probably better off on Amazon. As we wrap this up, I would like to get a couple of final thoughts from you. And to, to prompt that, I want to quote your recent article. While wealth is positively correlated with well-being to a point, disconnecting money from purpose is a formula for emotional bankruptcy. Can you address that? In my book, I, I cite what to me is the coolest study I've just about ever seen. And it talks about low-income savers who are having a, a, a heck of a time putting aside money. And the researchers are working with them. They're trying carrots. They're trying sticks. They're trying everything to get them to save more for their future. And the only thing that they found to work was to show them a picture of their children before they were asked to save money. So when we can reconnect what matters most to us with the financial decisions we make, be it investing, be it charity, being whatever. Mm. I think I, we just align uh, our, our why with our wealth. And I think that's a very simple but powerful concept. I love that. And thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Hopefully we'll have you back on the show. I'm going to be attending a webinar that you're putting on fairly soon. And, and I'm sure there will be some new topics for us to discuss. We'll talk with you soon. Dr. Crosby, thanks for joining us here on HR Latte. Thank you. 